is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hi, Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue in Conversation. My name is Brian Salvatore, and joining me on the show today is musician Chris Forsyth. Much like myself, Chris Forsyth hails from New Jersey originally, but now finds himself in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, though he has retained his Mets fandom at the expense of some of his other fandoms because of his uh, current city. But Chris is a big Mets fan. He's also a fantastic guitar player and a really innovative songwriter. Uh, I would highly recommend for those that have not heard of Chris before to just throw his name into Spotify or Apple Music, whatever your uh, music streaming device of choices, and just take a listen. He is an incredibly natural and melodic guitar player. I love, love, love his most recent live record with Garcia Peoples, and um, he has a lot of interesting things to say about the Mets, about music, and more, so enjoy my conversation with Chris. All right, so, you know, I often tell people that my two earliest loves in life kind of came together, which was that I would watch baseball with my dad and I would listen to music in the car with my mom. So what was sort of like, what was your first, what was your first entryway into both music and baseball? Well, with baseball, um, I, I was fortunate growing up in, in New Jersey, uh, the company that my father worked for, he was a salesman for a 
like truck body company and they had the company had season tickets at Shea from I mean as long as early as I can remember which I think probably the earliest uh consciousness I have is maybe like 78 or so mm-hmm. um and so we went to games just all the time it's just what my family did you know I mean pack up a big cooler of iced tea and some sandwiches and go up there and and um and see the games my dad's a baseball maniac and he sort of passed that on to me um, as far as music goes, uh, it's a little different. Both of my grandfathers actually were professional musicians, but, um, also I think, I mean, you know, base, uh, well, baseball is a tough business too, I suppose, but you know, music is not a, not necessarily the most lucrative business for most people that are in it. And, um, so I think my parents grew up as being like, Oh, music, that's a very nice hobby. Like, and they facilitated me, uh, you know, bought, bought me guitar when I wanted one and stuff like that. But um, they were not, they were much more practical minded. Um, so, uh, but I just, I guess I, you know, I, I learned a lot about music from my older sister. Um, I've got a sister who's like 18 months older than me. And, uh, but, you know, so she turned me on to a lot of things, but it was really, it's just, it was a slow, gradual thing. It wasn't like I grew up in a musical culture or musical family. Um, you know, I mean, technically, I guess it, where I come from is kind of Springsteen country. But by the time I was, you know, by the mid 80s, it was definitely more Bon Jovi culture than Springsteen okay. culture also. And, uh, you know, so I just grew up listening to classic rock on the radio. And, and uh, you know, there's good college radio stations around, too, that I got into as I got older. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in Jersey, you can tell sort of like your generation of Jersey versus like who your friends thought was the cool artist like I definitely grew up I, I I was in high school in the late 90s and so for me there was a lot of like the, the sort of f- third fourth wave of punk bands that were coming out of New Jersey were sort of the cool thing um I was like a big Ted Leo guy when I was in high mm-hmm. school you know that that was that was my that was sort of my guy um but I have cousins that are slightly older than me and they were in bon, they were into Bon Jovi and then, you know, my mom was into Springsteen, so you know, it's interesting to sort of see the like layers of Jersey of Jersey cool music. Um, yeah, uh, Peter Curlin, the bass player who plays on nearly all the my records, he uh he played with Ted Leo. Oh, okay. In the no, I don't know if it was the late nineties, but no, yeah, I guess it would have been the late nineties. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I, he's on one of the early records, I don't remember which. Okay. Yeah. Um so what was your first band like? Uh, the first band I had was called The Ordinary Boys. I think there is a band called that or has been a band called that afterwards, but it's a we were good the name. first. <laughs> yeah, it, was, well, it was lifted from a Smith's or Morrissey lyric or something. Um, and I mean, we were it, it, I was talking about this with somebody else uh, recently because I have a 10 year old. And I think that it seems like what music was for my generation video games are for his like everything is wrapped up in that whereas when i was in high school there was like it was common for there to be bands in the high school there was like a battle of the bands every year and every grade had a you know a few different bands there was like the metal band remember they were called fatal array um there was like kind of a proto alternative band uh there was like the band made up of the kids who could really play well, who were like in the jazz band and did like rush songs and stuff. And, uh, and I, the band I had was, um, our, our, our big thing was that we wrote our own songs, partly because we couldn't play too many other songs, (laughs) (laughs) but which, I mean, we were picking up on the kind of punk thing and, 
and we're all completely self-taught. So, you know, it was uh, somewhat out of necessity. Um, but that was the thing that set us apart. I mean, we did covers too. We did, did a lot of like REM songs and stones and, uh, uh, other kinds of also like kind of alternative rock of the day and mixed in with some classic rock stuff. Um, but we always like at the battle of bands, we always did like, you know, three original songs and two covers or something like that. Whereas the other bands were all strictly covers, although not the metal band, the metal band had their own songs too. Yeah. I remember taking great pride in my, I think it was my uh, sophomore or junior year, that my band was the only band at the talent show that year who did an original song. So yeah, I definitely understand the, uh, the thing. and again, it was just easier than, uh, than learning somebody else's song in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and so when you got into music, you know, in high school in that time, did your baseball fandom fall off? Because for me, there was like this, this period of time when I was, when playing guitar was all I wanted to do. And I, I, I guess I still, if I was offered a ticket to a game, I'd go, but it wasn't like something, I wasn't, I wasn't pouring over the box scores every morning, I wasn't watching highlights or whatever, but did, did your baseball fandom dip in that point, or were you always kind of into it? I think the thing that caused it to dip, actually, which, and this is kind of a bummer, is that, because um, I also played baseball, uh, and when I got into high school, uh, there was a coach who was like, I mean, this guy would not have a job today i would like to think based on the, w the way that he you know acted and talked to people but he basically bullied me off the team because i you know had like slightly long hair and played the guitar <laughs> wow um here's a here's a funny uh, i mean in retrospect it's a funny anecdote but i had bought tickets to go to see rem this must have been 1988 uh like, I mean, they were, I mean, the show I think was at Brendan Byrne Arena. I mean, it was an arena show, right. but in my high school, uh, you know, there was like maybe six kids or 10 kids that even had ever heard of REM. So it's, it's just cultural. It's also like a weird thing about how a band could be that big. And also in my sort of provincial town, just completely unknown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, I had bought tickets to go see REM and you had to, you know, buy the tickets in like January and the show was in April or May. And, um, and there was an away game on the day of the concert. And I said to my parents, like, oh, there's this problem. They, they sent in a note to the to the coach that said, you know, per, we'd like to ask for permission for Chris to leave the away game with us, where the regulation was that you had to go back on the school right, bus right. to school, right? And uh, Chris can leave the, uh, the uh, game with us because he's going to a concert in New York. And they said yes. And then as the season went on, and like practices went on and the coach started giving me more and more of a hard time. It came out that it was not like, I guess they thought it was some kind of like symphony event or some kind of family concert <laughs> thing, you know, and some kind of uh, uh, sanctioned cultural event. They're like a rock concert. And I got called down to the athletic director's office and the coach was in there and they were leaning over me and giving me a hard time for not being a team player. And, and the, the coach said, what is this concert you're going to anyway? And I said, it's a rock concert. And he said, what, who is it? What's, what is this rock concert? And I said, REM. And he said, REO Speedwagon. <laughs> and, uh, and I was just like, uh, no, I, like, and anyway, my parents stood up for me and good for them. Know, yeah. And they, they let me go to the, you know, they, they, they were like, no, he's going to the concert. Like, you know, don't be, you know, my parents were not wildly liberal, you know, type people at all, but they just, uh, identified that these guys were being unfair and kind of bullying. So uh, there was some of that. I mean, I got basically driven off the team after my sophomore year. And, uh, 
yeah, I didn't I didn't want to stop playing. I was into it, but I I was getting such a hard time about it. Um, I never thought about it this way until many years later. A ther- I was telling this to a th- to a therapist, and they're like, "Well, you were bullied," and I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess I was." Like I didn't even uh, identify it as that. I just thought the guy was a jerk. But yeah, you know. Um, anyway, but that you know that was also so long ago, and I, I would that coach was full of all other all kinds of other uh, negative uh, you know things that he said that I just think wouldn't fly these days. But it's so uh, that's a different era, you know. Oh, absolutely. Just like, in, just like in Major League Baseball, it was a different era. I mean, this was the <laughs> yes. era of like the late 80s Mets, you know, so. Right. Um, a lot of that wouldn't fly today either. I don't no, no, it wouldn't. Um... <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We emailed about this briefly, but so who are some of the, the Mets players that were like your favorites growing up? You know, guys that you really rooted for. Oh, I mean, Keith Hernandez, uh, Dwight Gooden, um, Gary Carter. Um, I liked Hernandez the most because he was such a hard player mm-hmm. and so great at defense and did all those, all these like little things that don't show up in the stats. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I always thought, thought, you know, he was, he was my favorite on that, on that team. But I mean, all those guys, that was, that was my team, you know? Yeah. That see, I, I was four in 86. So yeah. I don't have I mean, I have memories of sort of the, the dwindling of that team, you know, of, of right. people being there at the end and then people being traded away and all of that. Um, for me, what was a lot of fun as a Mets fan was I always felt like Mets the Mets played a lot of day games back in that time on the sports channel. Remember the sports channel that was uh, sure. I think it was channel three in my local uh uh-huh. package. But I remember coming home from school and being able to watch the Mets games and uh, really identifying with even then because even you know, I'm I'm probably talking eighty eight, eighty nine at this point, and that those Mets teams weren't bad. Like, they were pretty good, but they still felt like the underdogs in a way. Yeah. And I, I've always kind of identified with that underdog spirit. And I feel like there's no city in the world where there is such a clear baseball choice between the Mets and the Yankees. Like, I, I don't know. You know, I'm not somebody who hates the Yankees like on, on you know, for, for no reason. But I feel like when you talk to Yankee fans, they have a totally different view of baseball than Mets I, fans do. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, Did, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, I, I'm always surprised when I – um, I'm, I'm really good friends with somebody, somebody and they turn out to be a Yankees fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I recently, uh, about four or five years ago, I was at a show that Steve Wynn was playing. 
Yeah. And Stephen was like, we were talking. Was like, he's, yeah, he's he's a friend of mine, and he's a good example. He's yeah, a Yankees fan. yeah. And he was like, I live in Queens. I'm like, oh, you must be a Mets fan. Then it was a baseball project show. And he's like, oh no, I'm a Yankees fan. And my heart sank. I was like, come on, man, you're not even yeah. from here. You don't even have the like, you don't have the family connection to it or something like I've, that. I've gone to a Mets game with him though. I mean, he's you know he he pulls for whoever. He's he'll, he'll root for the Mets, but the Yankees are his home team, definitely. Yeah. Even the Dodgers, I think, going back yeah. longer, you know, yeah, yeah, for him. But but you know about the 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 games on TV. I I have a very strong recollection of, um, I guess it was Game Six of the NLCS in '86, that like 18 inning game against yep. the Astros. Mm-hmm. So I was in middle school. I think I was in seventh grade, and uh, and I was playing bat. I was on the basketball team, and I remember. I I um I was like disappointed because I had a basketball practice that day and I was like I'm gonna miss the game because the game was on at like one thirty or something right, or right. two o'clock and uh, I got home from school or from from practice at like five thirty or six or something like that and it was like the ninth inning and then I got a full I watched the game until <laughs> you know nine thirty at night or whatever it went yeah. on till like uh, epic epic uh, slugfest. My dad used to trick me all the time because he would. They also rebroadcast the game a lot. Mm. He would come home from work and be like, I bet you a dollar strawberry hits a home run. And I'd be like, I'll take that bet. And then he, he had heard it on the radio the day before, whatever it was. So, wah, yeah. Wah. yeah. He, he would never actually take my money, but he would always uh, yeah, yeah. mess with me with that. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about sort of when, when you went from music as a hobby to music as a career. What was what was the first big moment that you felt in your career that it was like, all right, well, this is this is setting me on the path now. This is what I'm going to do for you know the rest of my life. Well, I mean, I think I knew from a young age that I was going to try to build my life around music. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, it, it it still is like just a thing that that uh, it's not just um, a career or 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 a hobby. It's like, you know, a passion and like an outlet. And Mm -hmm. and it's something that, you know, grounds me. Um, So I think from a young age, I knew that. But again, like I didn't. I didn't know any musicians like professional musicians growing up. And that idea of that was not um, something that was really accessible to me. So I went to college and I mean, I got out of college in four years, which uh, for a lot of my friends was an accomplishment. (laughs) And, uh, and, um, but I was really, you know, playing in bands on the side the whole time. And, and then I moved to New York and continued playing music, but very much a long and winding road. Um, I mean, I was involved in, like, in the in the very late '90s. I took lessons from Richard Lloyd, the guitar player in Television. Oh wow! And uh, and he kind of taught me how to play. Really, I had been playing for like you know, ten year, ten twelve years at that point, but totally self taught. And I had all kinds of bad habits, and I had really no idea what I was doing in terms of like the mechanics or grammar of music, you know, music theory. So he, you know, I I, I credit him with really teaching me how music works and. So from that point, it was another maybe 10 years of really practicing that stuff. And I, I continued to play in in groups and kind of more on the experimental music side of things for through the aughts. Um, and then when I moved to Philly, really, is when I started, uh, you know, I, I would say I would start I was starting to make music that I would people were re- responding to in a stronger way. And that I mean, that was probably it, because, you know, Every, anybody can make music, but it's that completion of like uh, having an audience that gives you feedback and, you know, kind of completes the creative act that somebody sure. hears it. And then it was, yeah, it was relatively recently. I mean, all things considered, like in the last 10, 12 years that I started to get 
um, actually offered gigs and unsolicited attention and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So now, I was trying to describe your music to a friend of mine the other night, and I was failing miserably. How would you? Because I, I feel like there's a lot of interesting elements to your music that when you try and put them together in words, it doesn't it doesn't really flow for me. How would you describe what you do? Well, I don't have like a, a, a pithy little um, genre name for it, although I probably should if I was, you know, really smart about it. But the way that I think about it is, again, I come from like this rock background. Um, I also kind of diverged into this sort of experimental music uh, world where, you know, in tradition in like rock music, it's about the song and the singer and, you know, also like the timbre of the instruments, like in rock music, the sound is uh, <clears throat> as important or more important than the notes. But then in this kind of Im improvised music and experimental music world that I was I was swimming around in, like the chords and the lyrics were all not there anymore. It was this more sort of really about getting into flow and texture and stuff. And um but that, you know, it was sometimes that music wasn't that fun to listen to, I think, or it was very challenging to listen to. And, uh, you know, once I was able to process that stuff that Richard taught me, I feel like I was able to kind of combine my more, um, you know, rooted, like lyrical rock uh, sensibility with this kind of more stretched out, elongated flow. And I think about it, there's two, I guess there's two comparisons. One is, uh, you know, I think about it maybe in, in relation to jazz. Um, I don't play jazz. I'm not a jazz guitar player at all, although I, I, I listen to a, a lot of it. But that idea of like flow and themes and uh, improvisation is big uh, for me. And then also, uh, you know, uh, the guitar player, John Fahey? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So Fahey, I, I think, you know, he, I mean, he's an incredible figure. And um, uh, I think, I, you know, he's credited as sort of spawning this whole genre of, you know, quote, American primitive uh, guitar playing. But, I, you know, I think about what I'm trying to do as sort of similar conceptually as to what he did, he did, because even though I don't think I really sound like what he does, but, you know, he was a guy who, you know, took blues music, uh, combined it with these other kind of weird influences, erased the vocals. Like there was no uh, instrumental blues musicians before John Fahey that I'm aware of. Right. And, you know, kind of stretched it out and, and put his own, own weird spin on it. And I, I think about that as being kind of what I do with rock music. Like I take this music that I really do know how to play and sort of try to combine graft other kind of influences onto it. Um, you know, m my, my music is mostly instrumental. There's vocals on, on somewhat, some of them, but, um, you know, it's largely this kind of, you know, uh, cinematic kind of instrumental thing. Yeah, I had first heard your stuff uh, from a friend of mine who got who had been playing me like some Riley Walker stuff, and uh, you know, some, some people that I, I think, if I were younger and more ignorant, I would probably say like indie rock meets the Grateful Dead. But I don't think that's yeah. really I don't think that's really a, a super like eloquent uh, way to put it. But just no, this I, idea of sort of stretching things out and jamming and sort of seeing where where things go and following this improvisational muse, you know. Yeah, well, there I guess the the, the there's a term that's been sort of bandied around. I've heard called like indie jam. Right. Which I mean, you know, I, I've said this to people before, too. It's like I'm fine with it. Like if it, it it's a meaningless term to me. But if somebody 
if that if that brings somebody in or if that piques someone's interest, like that's fine. I mean, I I I'm a huge Jerry Garcia fan, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, as well as Sonic Youth or right. you know whatever these other kinds of stuff that 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 um, I was you know kind of that was turning my head on when I was really learning how to play back in the you know, late eighties or nineties. But, um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's not a, that's not an unfair term, I don't think, but it's, it's a, you know, it's kind of like a real estate term. It's like, you know, <laughs> neighborhoods change based on right, time right, and whatever. Right. It's like, I mean, you know, and I think that most musicians probably don't, I mean, the, uh, my relationship with the music is so sort of ineffable. And I think that it's true like that for a lot of musicians that, you know, we need people like uh, labels or managers or journalists to be like tra- to translate it for, <laughs> sure, you know, sure. the, the average you know listener or whatever. I also think that for for people of of my generation and and older, being a fan of of, of like a quote a jam band meant something that I think people reduced down to a stereotype. Whereas now I think there's no shame in being like, no, I'm into punk and I also really like, you know, the, the, the dead or fish or whatever. But like when I was growing up, if you were into the dead, that meant a very specific set of things that I don't think, uh, that I think I still somewhat struggle with, even though I have played in a dead cover band now. And like, I've, I have a much deeper appreciation for a lot of their music. It's hard to like, let go of what the nineties did to me in terms of (laughs) being into jam bands was, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think that, you know, back back then in the 80s and 90s, everything was more segregated and sort of, uh, you know, people were in their lanes. And if you were into this, you weren't into that. You know, I, I remember going to see um, I went to see Nirvana in September of 91 at City Gardens, which is a little club yeah, yeah, in Trenton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had seen them before and, you know, was into them. I, I think my sister was in like the Sub Pop Singles Club where they would send a, a, new, a, a different yep. seven inch every month. And so, you know, this was all, you know, we were into this kind of punk world. And I remember going to that show with my friend Dave and being looking around and being like, dude, what's with all the guys in Metallica and Megadeth T-shirts? Like, what are they doing here? (laughs) Right. This is a punk show, not a metal show. But that's like that's what Nirvana did. They were like, metalheads, come over here. Punk people, come over here now. Meet. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And there's like there's a huge audience. So um, uh, and and I was not a uh Grateful Dead fan when when they were around I was I just didn't get around to it I don't know um, but a part of it I certainly was the cultural divide where if I was into X there was this weird feeling of not being able to be into Y and that's just gone now I mean it's just flattened I think the internet kind of leveled that yeah yeah I, I had heard somebody recently talk about that stuff where like when you're a kid you were you were exposed to a certain sector of music based on radio and MTV or whatever, like whatever your generational touchstones were, they were the gatekeepers for you. But with the internet, it's just as easy to be in records from the twenties as like the twenty twenties as the nineteen twenties, right? You can go sure. on Spotify and find anything. And so every, there, there, there's much less of a, of a sort of dogmatic approach to scenes and, you know genres and i think that's ultimately a good thing but i often say i'm happy i grew up in the generation that had to hunt like i'm sure i'm I'm really glad i had to go to the record store and prepay for a record i read about in a in a a magazine article and wait or when it was 
it was you know. hard to find a Stooges record. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I think on balance, it's good. I mean, I, you know, down with the barriers. I mean, that's I think that's that's great. Like uh, people shouldn't ha- shouldn't have those kinds of hang ups. Um, you know, I think that when it, it, I, don't know, I, I also see this thing, like I said, with my son, where he's getting really into video games and it seems like that is filling the kind of uh, like from when I was a kid music and which cult music culture you sort of subscribe to or self identified with was a big part of who you were and how yeah. you saw yourself and where you were in the world. And like, if you're into punk, you know, you probably felt a little bit alienated or not, you know, like, and you know, weren't, uh, didn't want to go and see Def Leppard or something, even though I had the first few Def Leppard records for sure when I was a right, kid. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that, 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 that kind of, that kind of thing just doesn't seem to exist anymore. Like culture has just kind of gotten flattened and everything has equal value. And, um, you know, I, I think that again, on balance, I think that's good. Although it also presents other kinds of challenges too. Certainly. Now, speaking of those other challenges, how have you been doing with the pandemic the last year? You know, for for musicians, uh, live gigs are are the lifeblood of of your income and what you sort of what you do every day. So how have you been adapting through the pandemic? You know, again, I'm sort of like I've had such a I don't I've had such a uh, oddly paced and shaped uh, music life or career that um like I, for example, am not somebody that was wholly dependent on live gigs. Um, I think in 2019, I counted. I mean, I I did 19 shows. Um, I'm not somebody that wants to go out on the road for six or eight months at a time. Both, I mean, for a lot of reasons. But um, you know, for my own mental and physical health, I have a family. Um, I I like traveling, but you know, there's a lot of uh, dangers and bad stuff out there on the road too. Uh, so, um, so oddly, um, I mean, I've, you know, I've been putting out records and doing my, you know, week or week or two week tours here and there. Um, and that was going just fine. Um, but I had planned to put out, um, a live album, uh, before the pandemic, I mean, I was I, I planned this back in the fall of 19 and uh, did a, you know, did a gig here in 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 Philly at a venue called Johnny Brenda's. And I had been doing some shows with uh, this other band, Garcia Peoples, mm-hmm. who are from New Jersey slash New York. Um, and they, as sort of my backing band, along with I mean, it, the members of the band that I, bands that I'm using are always sort of rotating. But. Drummer Ryan Jewell was uh, was also on hand, and bass player Peter Curlin, who I mentioned before, and then the rest of the guys were from Garcia People. So we multi-tracked this show, and because uh, when I play, there's a lot of improvisation, and the music changes, and depending who I'm playing with, it changes. And so this is what I mean by the kind of jazz notion, where it's it's the singer, not the song. It's it's who's playing it, not what the song is, is right. that that really kind of brings it alive. And so. I wanted to, um, you know, wanted to, uh, share that or document that. And, uh, I had, I had played the recording for, um, no quarter, the label that, uh, I primarily work with on the studio stuff. And, uh, he was like, this is great, but I, I I don't think I can really put it out. Like uh, people don't like, don't really buy live albums and blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it myself. 
and I decided to I would just put it up on Bandcamp and uh, and see what happened and finance it myself. And then that turned out the record came out on March 20th and that the, the date had been predetermined also months before but it turned out to be the first band camp friday oh wow and, you know right when the pandemic was like the roof was caving in on people and i and i had like i had the biggest tour that i was um that i will would have done in my life actually planned at that time i was supposed to go out west and open for white denim for like 18 shows or 15 shows or something like that um you know in pretty pretty big rooms for me like 500 750 capacity rooms and um that got canceled of course but the record sold out on the day it was released. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, so, and then Bandcamp, you know, who have really stepped up and I think d- done a great job, uh, uh, you know, supporting musicians more than any other tech platform, um, which is because I, I think the thing is, is that Bandcamp actually is a music, a company that's based around music, not just technology like right. Spotify or data. So, um, you know, I just kept on rolling with the Bandcamp stuff, and now I have my own record label. I'm, I was just before this interview, I was emailing about another release that I'm going to be putting out um, in a few months, and I have another one at the plant that I have to go pick up tomorrow. So, wow. um, I actually, I actually, something that was absolutely not planned it was sort of accidental, but it ended up sort of happening at the right time. So, 2020 obviously was full of all kinds of challenges, but uh, musically, I've still. I've been in some ways more productive than ever, even though I only played music with other people once in the entire year, Wow! which was the first time, you know, that's the longest I'd gone without playing music with people probably since I was like 13. Yeah. Um, so, um, so that sucked, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, on the bright side though, I've, I've, you know, I feel like I, I managed to reach a lot of new people and it's been very gratifying to have these records coming out and, you know, I'm doing it kind of cottage industry style. Like I press up a thousand and, uh, you know, there's a distributor in the UK that, that has been selling them for me over there and the rest of them I do direct. So I'm literally slapping the label on the box and, you know, seeing the people that it's going to and, you know, repeat customers and being in touch with people. And it's, it's been, it's actually been really great. Do you see that as being, the way forward for the for the long haul now or do you do you think that you want to go back to being you know on on a label sort of letting somebody else manage that or do you feel like no this is good for you for the long haul now i think i'm going to do both i mean i'm planning another studio record with no quarter and the the label i'm doing is um super fun and gratifying and uh profitable even but um like the whole the side of of the music business that I have um, not not just antipathy about, like I like I I kind of don't like is the whole sort of public relations, PR, yep. uh, media, press kind of booking agent cabal bullshit. And um, so with the Bandcamp thing, I don't have to do that at all. <laughs> so I've you know I'm able to like reach people directly um, through a mailing list or through uh, through Bandcamp messaging and and um, so that it's been so that's been really good and it's satisfying and it's cool. But I'm putting out these kind of I've I was I've had a, I've had a I fortunately had a bunch of very well recorded multi track live shows that were pretty diverse and all over the map and I've been kind of putting those out and it's been developing into some other ideas. But the next studio record I'm going to do with No Quarter because Mike does press and Mike so Mike can like reach more people than sure, i can sure but um 
you know, I, that's he's got he's got skills and 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 uh, uh, you know legs to work in an area that I just don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's fine to do both. You know, I mean, you could think of this as like the fan club stuff, and you know, Mike is the like the you know the label putting out the sure. the, the the bigger stuff or whatever. So I think they can feed into each other, you know, I mean, and talking about the dead, it's funny. I have that book, everything I learned about business. I learned from the grateful dead. And a lot <laughs> of this stuff is, is sort of the, uh, the things that they were pioneering in the seventies, you know, like direct contact with the fans and mm-hmm. selling things direct and sort of being their own independent entity that did all this stuff themselves did not really, uh, interface with the, you know, conventional ways of doing business in the music industry at the time. And, um, I mean, obviously on a much larger scale than I am, but you know, there's some inspiration there for, too. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as long as you can keep the, the payroll under like 50 people or whatever it was that they had to pay, you know, to, 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 to keep going, you'll, you'll yeah. probably, those are, those are good lessons. I mean, when you look at the bands that are most successful now, and I, I don't, I'm not saying artists, cause I, I know you, you know, you can't compare like the average DIY band with, with, you know, a huge artist on a, on a major label, but the, the bands that are that I'm going to see that are thriving really do have a personal relationship with their audiences. They, yeah. there's just, there's good communication there. And so sort of the, the barriers have fallen down a bit around, around all of this. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's another one of those things. I mean, you know, as somebody who was into punk and the growing up and, and then not into the dead because of some sort of perceived, you know, convention about it. Um, you know, you get older and you realize like, oh, they, they were the punkest dudes ever, actually. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, they, they were the most independent. Oh, OK. So now let's, let's bring it back to baseball before I let you go here. Who are some of the current Mets that you're particularly jazzed about as the season starts in just a few hours from when we're talking? Oh, well, I mean, you know, DeGrom is like head and shoulders above everybody. I'm, I'm excited to watch Lindor play. I have actually not spent um, I haven't spent anytime actually watching spring training stuff i i read about it in the in the online and stuff and but i haven't i, I haven't actually seen him play a game yet so I'm, I'm excited to see lindor um i've been kind of in a deep sixers hole lately so i you know i moved from new york to philly and like i've i've shed my new york sports fandom except the mets like i can't i can't let that one go which is kind of risky in philly but um <laughs> yeah i'd say so but i've been but i've been on a deep sixers bender uh this spring so I haven't really um, focused too much on spring training, but you know, I mean, Degrom is, I mean, you know, he's he's unbelievable. He's the he's the uh, as good as as good as anything gets. You know, he's as yes. good as as what he does as anybody can be as good at anything that they do. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, so. it's pretty crazy when 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 you sit back and you look at like the last three years of his performance, and you just say, okay, here's a guy who is. Entering the part of his career when velocity usually starts to dip, and his velocity is, and his getting, is going up. It's, it's going up, right? <laughs> and and usually you see them just start to. I don't want to say get lazy, but pitchers tend to form habits, right? And you tend to be a more predictable pitcher. He's less predictable now than he's ever been before. He's well, throwing harder. It's just fantastic. I can. I mean, I'm I, I'm not comparing my level of talent to him at all, but I can relate to the fact that he kind of got a late start. You know, yes, he came yes. into the league late. And um, took a couple of years to ramp up. And uh, I mean, he probably he even though obviously he's accomplished a lot, the two Cy Youngs and everything. But, you know, I think there's a lot of things that he's still super hungry for. Whereas if he had come up when he was 20 or 21 mm-hmm. and won his two Cy Youngs when he was 24 or 26, um, he might 
he might be in a different headspace than he is now. But yeah, he clearly is still like, you know, he wants to get back to the World Series and he wants to win the Cy Young every year. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and by the way, you're in for a treat watching Lindor. I mean, we all are. We're, we are going to be so happy to watch that guy play every day. It's going to be I mean, it's, it's the fantastic. first time the Mets have had like a first-class shortstop in the history of the organization, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean so, am I right? I would. I mean, I would say he's he's instantly the best shortstop they've ever had. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, and that's uh, what I mean. Yeah, it, I'm not dissing. I'm not dissing Rafael Santana or, or <laughs> no, whoever. But, but... but there's never been as complete a player as Lindor yeah. playing shortstop. Certainly not. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. And just, I feel. I like... love a gold glove, man. I love a gold glove. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that goes back to the Hernandez thing. I think when I was a kid, like, just love a gold glove. Well, not only that, he has he has swagger, like to spare, and. He seems like a legitimately good person because I feel like sometimes those two things don't go together, right? The, the guy who's got the swagger can be a real dick, and he yeah, seems yeah, yeah. like a legitimately good guy who has swagger, and that's just he's, so fun. He's no Manny Ramirez. No, exactly. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's just it's gonna be. I think that last year's team was so disappointing because we all saw, like, we have a we have a collection of all time good guys on this team now. Like Dom yeah, Smith is seems like the best, you know. All these Definitely. guys seem like these good people, and I, I I hate to be I hate to bring it down to that because you know I listen to a lot of lots of music and watch films by lots of people who probably are assholes, and that's okay, right? But it's fun when you can really root for the guys, not just because of the laundry they're wearing, but because yeah. they seem like good dudes. And so I think you add Lindor to that, and this is like an all time fun team. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't wait to to dig in. Yeah, I'm stoked for sure. Well, Chris, if folks want to find out more about your music, where would you direct them? Uh, band, my Bandcamp page would be the number one spot. There's other links there that you know. I, I mean, I have a website, thechrisforsyth.com, but you know, if you just search for Chris Forsyth on Bandcamp, uh, that's where you'll you can find all the music, you can listen to all the music, you can buy all the music, and you know, and stay in touch. Like if you follow me there, like I can, you know, we can send. Well, I, we can't send individual messages, but, you know, you'll get a heads up every time something happens. Well, folks, thank you for listening to another Amazing Avenue in conversation. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com for lots more Mets content. We have game recaps, news, analysis, lots, lots more. Check it out. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us. Please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps other people find out about this show. Please check out the other Amazing Avenue Audio shows, a pod of their own, Amazing Avenue Audio, the show, Unformidable, and From Complex to Queens. You can find me on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. Please check out Chris Forsyth's music. Again, he recommends you go to his Bandcamp page. It's a great place to start. And until next time, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.